I'm B. And I'm B. And, and this, this is Homestead Happenings. Happenings. Where every week we bring you along on our journey to self-sufficiency. And bring you exclusive interviews on all things Homestead from people around the world. So hit subscribe and follow along with us. Let's learn. Let's grow. Let's go. I'm V, and today we are here with Hannah from Hannah at the Gardens, if you've seen her online, and we will tell you at the end where you can find her online. A lot of people have been asking about um, someone doing a practicing regenerative farm, and today is your lucky day, because that is exactly what she does. And we're going to be talking about everything organic. Some people um, think organic is not achievable or natural is not achievable. I try to be natural and then organic, and so today we're going to be discussing the pros and you can have yield. So, Hannah, tell us about you and your homestead, and thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, yeah, so uh, my homestead is in Rock Hill, South Carolina, a little south of Charlotte. Um, we've been actually, I don't even call us a homestead on a regular basis because this is now my whole time job um i've been doing it full time for two years now but have been gardening pretty much my whole life and have always uh just loved being around farm animals and so i just love getting to interact with other people who homestead so thank you for having me yes so you've been now doing this full time i know so many people listening right now they're like that's the goal how did you get here um so do you have you know obviously that means you have plenty when you're doing organics. So how are you balancing being organic, but getting enough yield to be full time like that? Yeah. So thankfully, and definitely it's a huge blessing, our location. We just happen to be pretty close to a relatively big city, um, a little bit larger of a town. So we're not super rural. So one of the things that I have to just admit to is the fact that we're able to price things really fairly for the amount of work and time that goes into what, what I do. So I think that if I was just kind of in the middle of nowhere, maybe this wouldn't actually be as feasible as it is, but I am able to have really great customers. And so I have to say that up front. I do have really great customers, so they make it possible for me. Um, but we, we really just, we just kind of took the leap and um, went for it. Uh, yeah, we do get really great yields, and I would love to explain how we're able to do that because uh, we're a no-spray, no-till farm. So that to a lot of people, they're like, how, how could you even be doing that <laughs> and make it a career? Um, but we just are able to price things super right, and by offering more and more to the community, uh, you know, we try to be like their one-stop shop. So if we're able to provide more, people keep coming for more. Um, so... We, you know, we combine that with our meat and our eggs, but we're definitely primarily a market garden system and we grow it all. Uh, we have got under an acre in cultivation right now and feed hundreds of families in our community. So right there, I'll stop you because people, uh, okay, two, twofold. You said excellent, excellent thing right there. Um, so you're no spray, no till. Yay for the no till. Yeah. That's me all day. Um, so, are you just no spray, no till, or are you implementing more um, permaculture practices in the sense of other areas of your of your farm will move more towards, uh, let's call it wild abundance. So yeah. you'll you'll be moving into those things and in and in utilizing those perennials. Yes, so we invested in a lot of perennials last year, probably exactly a year ago, last spring. Um, it's probably, I would say, like a third perennial right now. Uh, but we use a lot of our animals to do kind of different soil. <laughs> we're, we're still learning. So um, the first the first full-time year, we, you know, we would put chickens through a pasture before we turned it into a no-till garden. And so we're, by using the animals, we're kind of testing out a lot of that stuff and um, seeing how the soil can rest and benefit from the animals being there too. Um, but I would say, you know, it definitely takes several years to get to that point, and it does take 
a pretty big um, financial investment to make it a lot more perennial, but I would say we're definitely getting there. Um, a third, I feel like a third is pretty good for where we're at. And that's amazing for how long you've been doing it. And then the other question is, or two part is, you say a third's perennial, you're under, you know, an acre in production. People seem to think if they don't have 10, 15, 20, 50 acres, it just cannot be profitable. And, um, my thought on that is it's about how you're utilizing your space. Um, there is someone, I'm not sure if you're familiar, um, because I think they're in your area, actually, a honey tree farm. And, uh, same, yeah. and, uh, they also were mentioning how they are, uh, on a smaller thumbprint, but they were saying, we focus on the greens. We focus on the cut greens because they have such a rapid turnover and people were really wanting them. So it's just a good utilization of, you don't need a ton of space, just what you do with the space. And so I love that, that you mentioned that, um, how big is your property as far as if you wanted to use it all, that would be crazy, but how much do you have? Yeah, if we wanted to. So we, um, we actually lease, uh, 16 acres right now. We don't even remotely use a little bit of it. We just have a really great situation here where we can lease from a church and it just feels super safe and stable. Um, so we lease from them and just have a good relationship with them. And then, um, we pretty much just have like two more acres, um, where we do the market gardening and that's owned, but, um, just having those leases is super great. And the fact that it's a church and it's, um, it's pretty much secure. So like, they're not going to just sell it or turn it into something else. Um, we've definitely, we've, we've got it and it's, uh, definitely ours to use for as long as we want. So that's super great. So how do they feel in regards? So a lot of churches actually, um, have been stepping up and really, um, in a lot of locations, they're starting up community gardens. I've seen multiple posts where people are saying, Hey, my church came to me. They know I garden and they are opening a community garden. Um, here a church is the host for, you know, they let their parking lot and everything for the farmer's market. They're really getting their hand in there. Um, so what is their opinion on being organic though? Because a lot of times when people are just maintaining their grounds, they just let the landscapers kind of loose. Yeah. Um, well, they, I think they're just really grateful that I'm taking care of it. Um, we, you know, we are a regenerative farm, so the goal is to leave everything better than we found it. Um, we are Christians, so we're trying to steward the land. Like we believe that God intended. And so they know that. And, um, honestly, I think that they know that we're going to do a better job than somebody else would. We're definitely, you know, we've turned forests into these thriving silvo pasture kind of scenarios. And that's just what we continue to do in the rest of the acreage that we aren't even using yet. So they're really, they seem to be really stoked about it and just really grateful. And they have no problem that we're there, you know, definitely happy about it. That's amazing. Um, so for fun, since you've been doing it, um, well, I read, I read your notes. I cheated. I knew what you were going to say, but, um, I know that basically you grew up gardening, but it's only been professional, you know, for the last couple of years. So knowing that, is there anything that you will not grow? And then what is your favorite thing to grow? Gosh, I don't even know what I told you. Um, I don't grow artichokes. What else do I not grow? Uh, artichokes are just kind of one of the things we definitely don't grow. My favorite thing to grow, we, uh, gosh, carrots are super fun. I love growing carrots. It's something that um, a lot of other farmers tend to struggle with or even just market gardeners. So I love being able to bring carrots to market and sometimes be the only person with carrots at the market. Obviously love growing tomatoes. I feel like a lot of people love growing tomatoes. Just super fun getting to pick all the varieties and just surprising the community. A lot of people 
you know, if they don't have gardens of their own, they might not even know that green tomatoes can be ripe or that purple tomatoes exist. So that's always really enjoyable, and I think that makes it even more fun to grow tomatoes. I love that. And actually, um, I didn't know, or like those little teeny tiny teaspoon tomatoes, I didn't even know they came quite that small yeah. um, when I first learned about those. And um, I actually think it was garlic and onions that you don't grow. And I thought, yeah. I made a note about that actually um, when I first got the questions in because those are like big crops for people. So I want to know why. <laughs> so... We have grown them in the past, and definitely if we were just growing for ourselves or if there were ever a point where I would stop farming full-time for some reason, we would definitely grow them again. Um, the only kind of problem with them on a professional level is that they just are in the garden for so, so long, and uh, that is just kind of like prime real estate, frankly, and in order to keep the farm going financially, it's just super hard to kind of validate keeping them in there when you might be able to have eight turnarounds of lettuce or arugula or spinach or some kind of other crop that people like Frank like they pay really well for uh, and so and, and another thing is that people who are in town in the community they'll oftentimes just buy onions and buy garlic or go ahead and buy like pre-ground up garlic and so that's just not something that people are necessarily looking for farm fresh um a lot a, a lot of people are a lot more worried about their greens and their fruits and that kind of thing that kind of makes it so in being the high protection high turnover trying to use limited space um then i want to know do you do microgreens yeah uh we don't do microgreens right now but uh, that's just really because we're not in the market garden season right now. But we do grow them. It's just not necessarily a priority since it's not directly in the soil. I think our priority will always be what's outside. Because microgreens, I mean, you can grow those inside under grow lights. You can grow those pretty much anywhere. Uh, but we, we're so focused right now on improving our soil and keeping, keeping our soil covered and our crops rotated. So they're definitely not our priority, but we do grow them. People do really love them. Uh, I think that for the amount of work that goes into it, uh, folks usually pay a fair amount of money for, for what you're doing. But since it just doesn't kind of impact the environment, we don't focus on it as much. That makes sense. Um, I do love a good microgreen, though, of course. Okay. Uh, so... Gar garlic and onions, I know there's a lot of people listening and they're still hung up on the fact that those are not being grown. Um, so from a market gardening standpoint and an organic standpoint, I already know the questions that I will get are, well, they're good companion plants for pests. So, and you're organic. So what is your regimen then? Uh, are we using row covers or are we I mean I don't know what are we doing like what other kind of companion planting yes basically because I think those are just seem to be the default you know personally um our our focus is well now we're gonna have the food challenge this year so my focus is me first because <laughs> we're gonna have to put in so much production but um if I was you know, marketing out, I think I do it weird because it would mostly be like just having a lot of excess of what I already have and then selling that. And my quote unquote turnover crop would be the greens. I don't foresee, I just don't think I would ever, cause just cause we use so many tomatoes we use yeah. so many of those things. You'd think we'd run out of cucumbers, but I tell you what, no. We had 16 um, varieties um, in 2021. We had tons wow. of plants. Tons of plants. Uh, what was it? Like, I think it was like double that for plants. And we ran out before we could even preserve them. We got, just from being fresh... 
um, utilizing them in like little salads and stuff, and then um, using them in like cold pasta salads, and then having refrigerator pickles for a couple rounds. We were literally out of them. Didn't even get to can them, put them on the shelf, didn't get to dehydrate them, nothing. And so the tomatoes are about, about like that. And so I think, you know, for people listening, um, it's just a good reminder that you don't have, just because you're a market gardener doesn't mean you have to market garden everything you grow. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah. So do you, or do you grow any, like any certain things for just you guys instead of for market? Um, we grow a few things just for us. I would say, uh, kind of just some more, some fun things. Like, uh, I don't know if you've grown cucamelons. Um, those are fun. Yes. Yeah, we grow those for ourselves because it just doesn't make sense to, you know, pick them because they can take a long time to pick. Uh, we grow those for ourselves. There's some cute little, like, hot peppers that we'll grow for ourselves or, if we do grow like any of the miniature teeny tiny tomatoes, those kind of fun things, those will just be for ourselves. Um, but a lot of things we do just grow in pretty massive quantities. So I would say that we sell pretty much everything else. Um, even if, even if it's only selling it for a few weeks, uh, because we want to use the rest for ourselves the rest of the time. But I think everything else probably is offered to the public at some point. And so you're starting so many of these things. You're doing it full time. So are you doing seeds or are you doing starts and do you do it alone? Yeah, uh, I do it alone right now. We do have a business partner coming, uh, moving to our state next month. Who's like a family member. Um, but up to this point, it's been by myself and it's honestly been pretty difficult. Uh, but we do, we start most everything from seeds However, I will start indoors, different kind of brassicas, definitely broccoli and cauliflower. Those I'll always start indoors from start. I start um, cucumbers and squash and everything, maybe just a couple weeks ahead of putting it outside just to get a head start. And then peppers and tomatoes. I will probably start like a fourth of them indoors. And believe it or not, I start the rest from seed outside. But we do live in South Carolina, so it is a pretty warm climate. And we really only miss one or two weeks of, not even, of production by starting them outside or direct sowing them outside. But like I said, that's only about three quarters are direct sown outside. We, we do start some indoors just so that we have a secure uh, early production. People think I'm insane for doing that. And I did it from yeah. seed. I did it from seed last year as well, um, or yeah, direct seed. And um, then of course this year I get I'm late. I get them in. I'm like, oh cool. They start to go. Condensation builds up in my greenhouse, and then we got to freeze. <laughs> so they're recovering currently. But we are your seven B eight A right. Yes. And we are right on the line of 6B7A, but this is where it comes to um, people need to know their microclimates um, and also how to, you know, do your zones. Like one layer of plastic, boom, you're another zone, on and on and on. So I could technically direct so a whole bed of tomatoes and cover it with plastic and then boom, it's going to, you know explode there and I'll put myself into eight. Um, the South part of our property is actually sits up higher than the North part. And so actually it's like a seven B eight, a up top is how it actually yeah. is. And people, it's very important, um, to be monitoring those things and shameless plug here. If people want design help, <laughs> that is what I do. So, reach out to me, but those things really do help. And, and people are just shocked that in six B it could be done, but it can definitely be done and you don't have to have all that stuff in your house. Um, so what is your, uh, pest regimen then? Cause I just see tomato hornworms and, you know, aphids and Japanese beetles wreaking havoc. Yeah. Those are the ones we definitely have to look out for most, uh, cause they're just what we've had 
uh, the biggest problems with. I would say since we started full-time, or since I started full-time, um, I have seen a lot fewer pest, pest problems because I am just so, like, I'm intimately aware of everything that goes on in the garden now because I do it all day long. So before, when it was kind of my hobby uh, or just something that I was able to do every few days, I just, I wouldn't catch an issue as quickly. And now I'm able to catch it really, really fast. And so, you know, occasionally I will see a hornworm as so I know, oh, that's something I, I might need to companion plant better for next year or something. But since we've started full time, we haven't had any infestations. Um, I would definitely attribute that success to companion planting. Although I know you said, the onions and garlic, you know, how can we do it without using those? We plant a ton, a ton of flowers and a lot of herbs. And thankfully, our customers buy both because um, we, we also sell kind of just like cut flowers on occasion or, you know, zinnias, um, marigolds. Gosh, uh, pretty much every flower we use other than cosmos are edible. And um, they are also really great companion plants for a lot of these plants. And uh, besides companion planting, the biggest way to keep pests out is just we just don't plant in the same location. Um, you know, even even on just a, like less than an acre of growing space, it's really easy to quickly run out of a location where a brassica hasn't been planted for the past four seasons. And so it all comes down to just planning really well ahead of time where everything's going to go for this season for you know, summer, for fall, for winter, if we're planting in winter, um, so that those plants aren't back in the same place they've recently been because those pests can hang out in the soil and um, a lot of any kind of underlying disease or issue is going to be hanging out in that soil. So I would say planting really, really well and companion planting. Uh, we also do a lot of mulching and just working on our soil structure and that kind of stuff that helps a lot. Yes, and everyone who has listened to Dr. Elaine, when she came on and did her interview, she discusses when your soil is healthy, your plants are even healthier. They can fight off these attacks of weather or conditions or pest, you know, pests hitting them. They can bounce back. They can survive. But weak plants, you know, they're going to struggle. And the weak plants are also where the pests and things are going to go first. So she talks about making sure that your soil health is um, intact. You've mentioned it multiple times. And we just can't hammer it in enough. Soil, 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 soil. And getting it tested. Getting, you know, things in there. And on that, when you're... Do you have an off season? And if you do, do you run birds or anything through there? Yeah, uh, we do have an off season now. This year we decided, or last year we decided to start taking the winters off and to do three seasons instead of four. And that has been totally transformative for our mental health, for our physical health, and for the gardens. Um, the garden just you can tell it's going to flourish so much more this year because it had that rest period we do a lot of cover cropping during the winter so planting it in the fall and um depending on the cover crop we either you know uh gosh the word is failing me but we either crimp it at kind of the base of the plant or do something else so cover cropping another thing just encouraging wildlife in general i know you were talking about uh, good soil, weak plants. Another thing we do is um, we just welcome wildlife in a lot of different forms. We're obviously not super eager to have deer come tromping through the garden and eating everything, but during the springtime, we welcome a lot of birds. I think it's something like 90% of the birds in our areas eat bugs while they're feeding their babies, and that's in the springtime. So this, like, it's this time right now because it's starting to get warm out and things are in bloom. We're welcoming birds. A lot of bird feeders around um we probably won't start we won't keep doing that after maybe mid-june on through the fall because they'll start eating our tomatoes and everything but this time of the year is really great because they eat the bugs that we don't necessarily want in the garden and then just in general attracting insects a lot of times folks will spray through their gardens um you know our, our garden is no spray and so in order to keep 
good bugs coming in to eat the bad bugs or to attack the bad bugs depending uh we have to attract insects in general so sometimes it's not the worst thing in the world if you've got a tomato hornworm because without it you know the the good bugs that are going to come and take over aren't going to have anything to feed on so they're not going to come in so you kind of want a a biology wildlife rich area um and it's all super good for the environment by doing it that way anyways Yes. And, um, that just goes right along with, I said at the beginning, organic or natural, I'm natural first and organic second. People are like, what? Well, what I mean is as you are, you are organic. Yes, but you are a natural gardener. So when, Mm -hmm. when you hear somebody say that for everybody listening, that means they are not going out and dousing everything in neem oil. They are not going out and doing any of those things. They are just simply using um, manual labor, companion planting, soil health, um, row covers, things like that to protect their plants and just working to create an ecosystem and a natural habitat for everything to coexist. They're planting in overabundance, all these things. Sometimes when people tell you, yeah, when sometimes people tell you, oh, I'm organic, and it's because they're using organic sprays. So when you hear uh, Hannah saying, oh, we're, you know, we're no spray, we're no spray, that is actually an important piece of information because that is completely different um, from being organic or being a no spray. Um, And some people don't know the difference of that. And some people insist on, on using the chemicals. Um, and then they, they say, well, I wash my, my fruit when it comes in, but then they don't take into account. All of these things are now leached into their soil. This is just a, you know, a repeated process. So it's not about being organic versus non-organic. It It's at a whole structure. This goes beyond the chemical itself. I mean, even down to your yield. So, um, yeah, it's all about resiliency too. You know, yes. The more, the more you use, the more inputs you put, regardless of organic or not, or whether you believe they're good or bad, it's all about resiliency. So the more you use and the more that you train your environment to be reliant on it, the more you're going to have to continue using it or else it's not going to, you're not going to see good yields and see it flourish on its own. Like it's able to do by utilizing these natural methods like companion planting that have been done for centuries. Yes. And when you're thinking of saving seeds, try to be very intentional with this. Don't just go out and just save all the seeds, it really needs to be your strong plants, your healthy plants, your plants that really endured. Um, I wouldn't take, you know, a tomato that's limped along and given me the bare minimum. I don't want those seeds. I want the seeds from the tomato that's, you know, defied the odds, did great in the soil. And, you know, that's just similar to livestock and the saying, you know, breed the best, Coal rest. It you're just trying to really improve that resiliency. Um, so I will say, um, I know we just threw a lot of things at you when you're listening, um, but it is very important that you know the difference of those things. Um, now we'll lighten it up a little bit. Um, do you preserve any of your harvests considering you're primarily a market garden? We didn't preserve very many last year. Um, the first year full-time I did, I was still canning and doing a lot of that kind of stuff, but just kept finding that it became more and more difficult um, as it just became more full-time. This past summer, really the only way that I've been able to make time to preserve is like dehydrating um, and freezing. So still doing that stuff because it's just, you can kind of set it to the side and not have to worry so much about balancing things and making sure every, you, you get it all right with the dehydrator you just you know you just turn it on so those those kind of things have still been doable and I'm hoping to keep doing them and then also just um, I've been building relationships with other homesteaders in the area and so if somebody wants to do a trade um, and you know take a whole bushel of cucumbers or something 
in exchange for freeze drying, you know, raspberries for me or something. I've been doing a lot of that too. And that's been really, really great. And it's still kind of supplied us with this wintertime food supply. Um, but you know, not making it so that I've had to do all of the legwork while still doing this full time. Yes. And I do a lot of things here. Most of the things myself, um, and it's not that my husband doesn't exist, but he's working and he's gone. Um, so I have a lot of other inhibitors. And so I know that a, like, like you said, okay, I focus on these things and this is how much I use and all these things. I know that would have to be my trade off if I were to go into doing the market garden, because that is just realistic. That's just good business. Realistically, you couldn't possibly do all that. So for me, and I use this as an example for people listening so that when you're, you're thinking about doing this, ask yourself about these things. So I enjoy growing all the things and I want to grow all the things and I'm going to keep growing all the things. And so therefore I would not be able to scale the market garden as you are. You have to come to the, to the conclusion of that. Either you're going to hire staff, you are going to be a family that's working from home full time, really hitting it hard, or you have to make a concession somewhere. And that brings me to, you mentioned there's a family member coming to be your business partner. Is there anything in the works of where your husband, I believe it's your husband. Sorry if I, it's not, but, um, was there anything about them coming home and doing this as well? Do you think that that is in a five-year plan or is that not desired at all? Uh, yeah, my husband, he has no interest in the farm at all. He thankfully helps me with anything really, really hard that we do. If we have to, if we've got a loading day for animals or something like that, he helps out, but he's totally not interested. Um, this person who's coming is actually like my second cousin. Um, but this is kind of her dream and we've been talking about it for two years. Um, and there, she's going to be here full time as well. And I think five to seven years down the road, her husband would really like to come on the farm too. Like I kind of explained, we've got these really great leases and we've got plenty of space to grow. It's just growing in a really intentional way mm -hmm. and not getting too over our heads too quickly. Um, just kind of taking it slow and making sure that it's sustainable. Um, but yeah, we're super excited that she's coming. And that's amazing. I, if my sister's listening to this, um, keep in mind that I still want you to move here with me. <laughs> so, I think she's like an animal whisperer. She's like Dr. Doolittle and she does, she's just great to have around. And so I, I need the second cousin. <laughs> so yeah. I will say though, um, I, not to be doom and gloom, but we've had a lot of these discussions and a lot of these things on the podcast discussing the climate that we're in. And you're, you know, you're mentioning your bartering things and everything. Are you preparing at all um, for if things change as the world is getting a little bit crazy yeah. here? Um do you have a backup plan there or what would your advice be to somebody who's wanting to start this market garden, but they're worried about the climate? Absolutely. That is a fantastic question. And it's actually one that I've been thinking about all week. Uh, just, you know, been on my mind and I'm sure it's something that a lot of people are, you know, that they think about pretty frequently. Um, it is honestly, the market gardening doesn't hinder me at all. If, one day I just need to stop selling. I can just stop selling. It's really that simple. Uh, our commitment to farmers markets and everything like that, you can pull out pretty much at any time. And customers would totally understand if, like, if something were to happen to make us want to just shut down and start preserving produce or, you know, putting it in root storage or something, people would totally be understanding. And at the end of the day, it's our farm. We're the ones doing all the work and we can make the decisions that we need to make. Um, I was just th kind of thinking through a game plan. If something were to ever happen, I would never stop growing food. Like, you know, if anything, this scale and having this knowledge and 
being so intimately connected to my food every day only reassures me even more that if something were to happen and we were to need this food supply, that we'd be way better off than even the folks who grow nearby us and who, you know, homestead around us because we do have this wonderful scale that we've been able to figure out and sustain over and over and over again. I think that we'd be able to just keep it going on our own. And um, we do have root storage. We grow things like we grow bolero carrots. So they store in root storage for like six to seven months. So we already do a lot of that just so that it's there. Um, and we, we sell them as we need to. But I definitely think that it's not a hindrance at all. You know, we've we're growing and we're going to keep growing. So, yes, I think that um, the only thing that I, I agree, the only thing I would know for new people would be um, financially. You can pull out and stop selling. Others need to have a what happens. You know, if you have, you have to pull out and stop selling because you have to have the food, but then also somebody's laid off or you don't have this and that. So now you have food and you're going to be at a crossroads of I have to sell it to make money or I have to eat it to not starve. So definitely that goes back to what is your business plan? And we've got a lot of podcast episodes on figuring that out and doing all that. So definitely, um, if you haven't heard those, jump back and check those out for everybody listening. Um, that would be, that would be my thing. I, you know, we have been there. Um, 2021, we sold things. We had things 2022, I had a health deal. I couldn't grow as much. I did lose, um, work and we had, we had crazy shifts and I couldn't do the production. And so then not only do we not have sales, but we barely had enough for us and what we had needed. And, um, we, it just came out of nowhere. And I, I am not that old. Um, I'll be 32 this year. So I am not, I I was only 31 and at the time I was 30 when it was happening. So, um, you know, it's not something that you think. So definitely for everybody listening, it can happen. So I'm glad that it's been on your mind all week. You know, you've been thinking about that. Um, you, you, oh, we had a delay (laughs) for people who wanted to go in on full-time market gardening as a couple. Yes, that's absolutely something that, you know, you would want to discuss. Um, thankfully, we have two streams of income. So if if anything were to happen, my husband would still be working off the farm. But if you are going in and like the whole family would just go in full time farming, it's definitely something to think about. Yeah, um, big time. It could be it could be insane. And uh, for my husband and I, we were being self-employed together and then that happening to me. And it was, my business isn't one that he would be able to operate alone. Um, and so then he had to quickly transition and go to a, like be a W2 worker. And that was a shock to the system too, because then he was gone from here. So lots of shocks to the system. Um, so just definitely something to think about. You have, chickens as well. So of course you have eggs and everything like that. Chickens are one of our primary ventures, um, as far as breeding, um, you know, hatching eggs, chicks, eating eggs, all those kind of things. And I knew right off the bat that I wanted to do this, that with the poultry. And so we went ahead and got MPIP certified, uh, cause I knew I would want to ship and do all those things. And market gardening is similar. If you know that that's what you want to do, then that just goes back to being, you know, business. But your chickens help you in your market garden as more of like a value added product or yeah. do they are are they kind of standalone and do you have any more other animals? Yeah. So, I would say they're definitely just an, an added value product they are not bringing in any significant cash flow if any ever um just and, and we sell our eggs for 650 a dozen right now and it's still just 
definitely no profit there. But we raise uh, forest-raised, pasture-raised pigs. So we've always got pork products. Those are totally, that's totally its own uh, income stream. So that's something that, if anything, I think is the most uh, reliable because once you get a customer who buys, oh my gosh, a whole hog or even just 50 pounds of meat every time you come back from the processor, that's that's definitely a really safe safe bet. Um, we have broilers that we're starting in April, and I think that those will kind of be their own thing as well. And, but at the end of the day, the whole reason we're doing any of it is so that people continue to buy from us. Even right now, we because I did take the winter off this year, I find that we're selling so much fewer eggs, a lot fewer pounds of pork, and that's just because we don't have any vegetables right now. Uh, but in the summertime, when we've got the vegetables, we've got chicken, we've got eggs, we've got pork, we've got our, uh, you know, our herbal teas that we grow and dry, and we've got all the things people are going to come to us for everything. Um, last year we had raw milk because raw milk is allowed in our state and um, people would come and drive to us just so that they could get raw milk. But then they also bought veggies, pork, eggs. Um, so the more we have to offer, the more people come and shop. Yes, because then you turned into their grocery store with a face and that's what they love. Um, yes. You're, if, of course, if you're just starting out, we just we only started with vegetables, and we had already had chickens just because we've had chickens for so long. But definitely start slow and keep adding these value-added things slowly. If you you know you don't want to go all in full time on everything, but and what what breed of pigs do you raise? We raise, gosh, I'm not even gonna say it right, and it's gonna be so embarrassing. Gloucestershire. Uh, I know it. I just call him GOS, and with everybody else who raises them, I just type GOS. But I just say old spots. <laughs> old spots. We've actually had them for a year and a half, and we've raised we've raised Berkshires, we've raised Yorkshires, we've raised Tamworths, Red Waddles, but uh, the the old spots are by far our favorite. Okay, so uh, I I raised Red Waddles. Well, now my friend, they raise. Old spots. I'm definitely not even going to even attempt to say the word, but they raise them. They love them, and yeah. but they're such a you know they're such a large pig. But they're telling me that I would have less issues with containment if I would switch to them. One hundred percent. That's one hundred percent. No doubt about it. Yes, they are fantastic. That is the main reason we stuck with them from the beginning they never try to leave they never try to leave we even have uh we have double fencing and they never try to leave the first layer of fencing whereas right now we we happen to have two berkshires right now just it just we ended up with them they try to leave they will literally leave the double fencing that is electrified they will leave it like every two days and the old spots just sit around and like hang out and they do not care they're not ever trying to leave highly highly recommend <laughs> So, yes, those and coonies have been on my mind. I love these red wattles personally, but um, we've had, as of recently, some containment issues. And I think what's going to happen is they're all going to get butchered out and then we're going to switch. And so I'm, I'm excited to hear that because they were swearing by them. Their pigs are top-notch quality. They went and transported them in. Um, and then we also are just north of VW Family Farm, and they are another huge breeder of those. And so I'm blessed that wanting to get into those, I'm surrounded by top quality breeders. I also considered the Tamworth. I do have uh, some friends with those locally, but I really just, the old spots and the Coonies just seem to be the sweet spot there. They're also really great. Um, I know you have... How many children do you have? Children? Yeah, don't you have children? Yeah, uh, just one. Yeah, so Old Spots, uh, they are fantastic for families. Like, definitely family-friendly. Um, you know, normally I hear people never letting their kids in with the pigs because, you know, they're, they're big, and Old Spots are especially big. But they are so, 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 so friendly. They're the only pig that I would ever trust to let 
a visitor in with, you know, or like young, younger kids. Um, they're so friendly. They're definitely more like, they can be more like pets. Uh, they just, you know, they'll let you pet, let you pet them. All of them will. It's just, they're so great. So great. So great. Our, uh, our red waddles are friendly, but I will say they are much more friendly to me because they, they know me really well. They're friendly to everyone, but like I can, you know, give them scratchies and all that kind of stuff personally, but they're, they are a bit temperamental with, um, farrowing. Yeah. So do you have issues with that? Well, we, we're not farrowing for the first time until August, so I honestly can't say. Um, but from the breeders that we partner with, I haven't really heard any major complaints. Uh, I've Almost everybody, usually when I go to them, they're complaining about another breed of pig during farrowing. So I definitely think on the, the scale of temperament, they're definitely better, uh, at least from what I've heard. But... That also, you know, that also totally changes depending on the genetics, so can't say for sure. Right. So, I know, cut two on pigs there. Uh, so, what, I know, we'll get back on track now, everybody, I swear. What are your must-have gardening tools and supplies? Uh, number one would be an earthway cedar. Uh, for folks who've got more money to spend, there's these cedars called Jang cedars, J-A-N-G. We can't afford one of those, and I feel like most people on a small scale can't. So we use Earthway. It's a seeder that lets you seed hundreds of feet of seed at one time. So that's really good for your things like carrots and root veggies that got to go directly into the soil every single time, and just saves you so much time. When I used to, when I used to kind of do this for fun, uh, you know, you would like broad seed them by hand, and it would take a long time, and it wouldn't be consistent spacing. Or you'd have to go and put them each in their little individual spot two inches apart from each other. And it would take forever. So the Earthway Cedar saves me so, so, so much time. Huge time saver. I I probably spent 30 to 40 minutes all of last year seeding everything total. Whereas before, it, it would have been like days and days and days. Uh, Earthway Cedar. The other thing would be a broad fork. We use ours. Is from, ours is from Meadow Creature. And that's for aerating the soil for our carrots. So since we're no-till, we, you know, we have this perfect soil structure that we've built up and built up that we never spin or uh, disturb. But with carrots, since they do need a lot of aeration, since we're not tilling, if we just sowed carrot seeds right on top of this soil structure buildup, um, they sometimes have a really hard time uh, growing into significant substantial size carrots. So we use a broad fork for that. And gosh, one more thing would be a gorilla cart. It's, uh, if you don't know what it is, it's like a wheelbarrow, but it's, uh, like got four really big rubber hefty wheels. Um, it can also dump, uh, like a dump truck and it has a steering capacity of probably like 260 degrees so it's really great we love love our gorilla carts i have a cart too i couldn't be without my cart i would probably die without my cart <laughs> i use it for everything um so do you do any fruits or like orchard growing yes we do and i totally forgot to mention that when you asked what we grow for ourselves we grow the fruit for ourselves so uh and Gosh, we haven't sold fruit since like month one of full-time farming. And that's probably going to change as we're able to invest more into permaculture kind of things. The more we're able to put into perennials, the better. And I think uh, we'll be able to invest more in fruit trees that way. But right now we've got about one fruit tree of each kind of tree that we like. And we've got several bushes and different kind of vining fruits and that kind of thing, but it's just not enough to kind of include the public in. So that's all for ourselves. Um, I find that those, those kind of do, do really well. We never have had to worry about pests with much of that. The only thing would be strawberries, but you know, we just pick them early enough that they don't get eaten. Uh, but everything else is really, really well. Yeah. Well, and who doesn't love a strawberry? <laughs> so I mean, everybody's trying to eat that. Um, so 
I know that uh, I've taken up some of your time here. So what are some fun facts that you were surprised to learn when you started really intently gardening? And do you have any social media that people can follow? Yeah, so fun fact. Gosh, now I'm just thinking so much about all the companion planting stuff. I think really the biggest thing is just before before I started and before I got really, really into it, I just had no idea about, gosh, any of the companion planting any of it. I didn't, I just had no clue. I would say companion planting in general is really interesting. Uh, another one that I love to share with people is just the different kind of edible foods in the garden. So things like broccoli greens, uh, broccoli, I call them sprouts. I don't know if they have a particularly correct name, but you know, after you harvest a broccoli head, there are additional sprouts that come up and they're like smaller broccoli heads later on that broccoli can continue to grow for several months. So we actually, we do sell broccoli greens and sprouts to the public. Things like cauliflower greens that we sell to, uh, those are kind of fun facts that I love to share with people, especially the people who we sell to kind of closer into the city who would just, they would have no idea because they've never seen a broccoli plant before. So those are, those are probably my favorite fun facts to share with people is just the different edible foods, um, like carrot, carrot tops and all that stuff. We, um, actually have a cookbook that we're coming out with later this year that's all uh, it's called uh, eat every green but but using all of those greens so that's kind of my fun fact um social media is hannah at the gardens mostly on instagram but you know tiktok youtube those things too um but yeah i would definitely love to interact with more people so feel free to follow Yes, and hopefully everyone does. And for anybody who wants to start market gardening or gardening in general, please feel free to use our link at Mary's Heirloom Seeds in the description box. You can still enter code DREAMWEAVERS to save 10% off of your order of $20 or more. Tis the time. She uh, really turns orders around very quickly. Um, you can use the code more than once. If you forgot something, don't worry. If something is out um, or you have questions, you can reach out to her. And she really worked hard on her website to get all that stuff out. If you don't need seeds, but you want some fun stuff for the garden, she also has some t-shirts and some mugs. And she's got stickers and all of those things. So what is better than to nerd out on that, right? So I really appreciate you being here today and talking about your farm. And I am just, I'm excited to see how your season will go. So is this season season two or is this season three? This is season three. So that's going to be so exciting. Or, yeah, this is year three. So yeah, this is, um, we're really, really excited and we're growing more than ever this year. And companion planting more than ever this year. So, yeah, super, super exciting. Well, I wish you the very best of luck with that. And I have a lot of gardening stuff that I have to be getting to as well. And, of course, it's been so... It's either been torrentially raining or 60-mile-an-hour winds. <laughs> so, I'm like, of course it is. But either way, everyone should get out, get in the dirt, and get growing. So on that note, let's learn, let's grow, let's go. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you.